This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. All eyes are on Nevada as the Silver State begins its caucuses. The early caucusing is in the books, and this Saturday, the caucusing day, Saturday is caucusing day that, that will round off uh, Nevada's place in the presidential Democratic primary uh, contest. Niels Lesniewski, our chief correspondent, was out in Nevada for early caucusing. He talked to several of the uh, candidates for president, as well as some members of Congress, as well as an old friend slash nemesis. Uh, we're going to get to all of that in today's political theater. Niels, welcome back from the desert. Uh, it is good to be back. I understand you were in the desert as well uh, over the same weekend, but for, for different reasons for, in a slightly different part of the desert. Yes, I was in the Tucson area. Uh, I, w- I was not near where the president did his uh, rally in Phoenix at Veterans Memorial Coliseum, although Veterans Memorial Coliseum does have a place dear and near to my heart because that's where the Phoenix Suns uh, initially played before moving to, I think it's Talking Stick Arena now in downtown Phoenix. Uh, but anyway, that's where the State Fair is. <laughs> uh, I, I was not there for that either. You were there working. I was there uh, on just on a, for a little time off and, and, and so forth. But uh, yes, it is nice, and it's great to be back in Washington with its 30-degree gray sky, gray sky weather. <laughs> Yes, uh, for better or worse. Uh, Well, I was out in uh, Nevada for the early caucus period. I was there for uh, just about the entirety of that four days. And frankly, I might have seen most of the voting. And that's the part we really don't know yet. According to the state Democratic Party, 75,000 people or nearly 75,000 people voted early Uh, And by comparison's sake, in 2016, there were only about 84,000 caucus goers at all. So part of the question going into Saturday uh, and for the rest of the week is whether or not there's anybody left. Yeah, I've always found this sort of fascinating that the, you know, the the— Iowa caucuses get all the attention, uh, and and certainly they're the first in the nation. They they got a lot of negative attention because of the snafu with their app and and how the results were reported this this year. But Nevada, particularly the Democrats, have used the Nevada caucuses in presidential years truly to organize the state in a way that the Republicans have not caught up to uh, in, in, in Nevada. And certainly this was by design by by Harry Reid, the former Senate majority leader and longtime kingmaker in Nevada. Uh, and and the like talk us through this, because when you got there, Saturday was the, or the was the beginning of early caucusing uh, in, in Nevada, uh, Saturday, the um, 15th of February and, and went went a few days. And you said like the the way that they got people there, I mean, it, it shows that turnout is, is, is on the up uh, again in Nevada. Uh, certainly. They, they set up uh, early caucus sites uh, all across uh, the state, uh, primarily, obviously, in Clark County, uh, which is where Las Vegas is, and up uh, toward Reno. Uh, but there were some remote ones as well in, in, in less populated parts of the the state, uh, but they set them up in places where people can actually go, where Democrats actually are that are convenient. They like casinos. Had, they had caucuses <laughs> in the back room of the Bellagio. They had caucuses in the 
uh, union halls all across the city, uh, particularly, of course, at the Culinary Union, which is uh, basically right underneath the tower of the, the stratosphere, or I guess they now call it the Strat. They changed the name. Um, but so this is they hold these caucuses in places where people can actually go. Uh, and you, like everyone else, may be asking, so, Niels, how the heck do you do a early caucus? Uh, really, it's more of a ranked choice voting system like we, we see actually in Maine now. So so people who went to the caucus or went to the early voting sites were given cards and asked to bubble in at least three names. Uh, you could bubble in the same name. So if all you wanted was Amy Klobuchar, you could go Amy, Amy, Amy. Uh, you could bubble in three different people. You could bubble in undecided, uncommitted, and basically declare that you're not voting for anybody, which is what Harry Reid, the former majority leader of the United States Senate, said he actually did at the East Las Vegas Public Library. Uh, And uh, so what ultimately is supposed to happen, and we'll see, but what is supposed to happen on Saturday is all of these results are supposed to go to your actual home caucus site. uh, And then uh, from there, if the if your first choice candidate is not viable, there's a 15 percent viability threshold, just like in Iowa. Uh, if you don't get 15 percent of the vote, uh, then it goes on to your next choice. And that's how this this ranked choice voting uh, early caucusing was supposed to work. And uh, fingers crossed. So this sounds no offense to Iowa. This sounds a little more. Uh, understandable and easier to execute if you have people who have already ranked their choices and it just goes to if you know it goes to the next person if that first choice isn't viable as opposed to gathering people in a gymnasium for four hours and having people yell at each other you know <laughs> to come over to the other side and and make some poor person do math in the middle of all this uh, I mean th- this sounds like I mean the, the Nevada Democrats said that that what happened in Iowa will not happen that will not be replicated. Uh, in in Nevada, we are going to have you know we're going to be better organized. We're not going to let this you know like this kind of debacle happen. And it sounds like from your observations that it was at least on the surface a little more organized. Uh, it certainly looked that way. Now there will be some of the moving around the room in the sort of more traditional caucus process on Saturday, uh, but the the state party uh, insists, as does Harry Reid. Sometimes that's the same thing. Uh, insist that there are 3,000 volunteers and they're ready to go uh, and they're ready to have a successful process. A lot of the people who I ran into who were waiting in line to get into events uh, outside of a Pete Buttigieg event, outside of uh, an event for Elizabeth Warren, a lot of people who I ran into were early caucusing because they are, in fact, precinct captains who have to run caucus sites on Saturday. And anyone running a caucus site is not supposed to actually be caucusing themselves in person. So they were all supposed to vote early uh, to avoid that that obvious appearance of impropriety when someone wearing an Elizabeth Warren T-shirt is the one who is also the one tabulating the votes. Gotcha. And getting back to Harry Reid, uh, you you have a uh, uh, you covered the majority leader, uh, former minority, former majority leader in the, in the Senate. He's now retired in Nevada uh, for, you know, you knew him for years in the Capitol, uh, had uh, somewhat of a, uh, some, a sometimes uh, jovial, sometimes prickly relationship <laughs> with him. And, uh, you know, four years ago, he had already announced that he was retiring uh, when I was covering the caucuses. 
in 2016, uh, but he was very front and center. I mean, he was he was active at the different events that the Democrats were having. I mean, his his sort of anointed uh, replacement, Catherine Cortez Masto, who did win the the election, uh, was sort of you know ascendant, but. Harry Reid was really still, you know, an active part of all this. He uh, is in ill health right now. I mean, he has pancreatic cancer. He held off on doing his chemotherapy, uh, apparently, so he could he could caucus. He was in a wheelchair, but he's still he's still there. He's still on the ground. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, he he very much is still there. Uh, and myself and some other reporters had an opportunity to talk to him on Saturday, right after he uh, finished his early caucusing. Uh, And one of the things that he talked about specifically was uh, the fact that he thinks Nevada should go first in 2024. I think the future is, as many pundits have said, it will become the first state to have a primary. As Iowa and New Hampshire have been very representative of what happens in the country. I mean, never. Uh, I think it was Rahm Emanuel said, "Never let a crisis go to waste." A good crisis go to waste. I mean, Harry Reid is uh, is is certainly not going to let this opportunity go by to to plug uh, his his home state while he has the uh, well, he's still got an ounce of breath apparently in him. I mean, this is an ex- extraordinary, and also I wouldn't put it out of the question. I mean, like the politics goes to those who who, who rush in and don't waste any time uh, taking advantage of a situation. Uh, that's certainly right, and and certainly the debacle that uh, played out in Iowa, where I believe they are still trying to count votes, uh, is certainly something that uh, is there to be taken advantage of if you are the sort of character like Harry Reid who would be one to take advantage of that situation. So, I mean, amid this, I mean, it really is almost feels like a, a you know, a mini Super Bowl of, of politics. I mean, you had the early caucusing. We had the Democratic primary debate, which featured uh, Michael Bloomberg on the stage for the first time this week in Nevada. And then we've got the, you know, bookend of the the actual caucus date, the official caucus date. Um, so, I mean, you spent a lot of time around these folks in a, in a short period of days. Um, and not to put you on the spot, but like what would be like one of the more surprising things that you saw amid all of these members of Congress, all these presidential candidates, all these politicos that who are like running around, you know, this, you know, Las Vegas and some of the other places, which we will talk to you all about also. Uh, we, you didn't just spend all your time in Vegas. Uh, that's right. And, and I would say that the, the biggest surprise for me may have been the reception that was drawn by Tom Steyer. The uh, the other billionaire. The other billionaire, <laughs> the one who did not qualify for the debate, uh, despite the fact that he has uh, substantial support in South Carolina. There just hadn't been enough polling out of South Carolina. And the way the Democratic National Committee's uh, debate rules were structured, uh, he was not eligible for the debate on Wednesday night. Uh, but what I saw was that not that he had the largest support, but he he certainly had an interesting uh, contingent of supporters. People definitely came out to find him when he showed up at events, early caucusing, uh, at an infrastructure uh, event symposium last uh, Sunday at UNLV. Uh, And something that I noticed, which is something that is relevant going into South Carolina, is that he had a lot of older African-American voters who were coming out to see him. And that... Uh, had been something that has been reported out of South Carolina as being part of where his support is in that state. Uh, And it looks like that uh, same paradigm is true in Nevada. Okay. 
Um, and also there, I mean, you know, we um, we talked a little bit uh, around the time of Iowa about some of the, the quirky rituals. And, and one of them was, you know, a, an incident that, stayed, that uh, stemmed from 2016 where somebody was actually bribed with a cookie uh, in order to caucus for another candidate. Uh, and there was a, you, you made some cookie and taco observations yourself uh, in, in mid the Nevada caucuses. Talk a little bit about that with Tom Steyer. Certainly. Uh, Mr. Steyer uh, had... Uh set up at the Culinary Union or outside of the Culinary Union uh, a taco truck that he uh, rented or his campaign rented to distribute free tacos to everyone who came by uh, to early caucus at the, the Culinary Union. These were obviously not restricted to only Tom Steyer voters, uh, but that got considerable attention. Uh, where we were, uh, Mr. Steyer had a cookie truck a food truck that was dispensing cookies, uh, and there were trays of cookies being passed around when Steyer showed up himself uh, to greet voters. Uh, and it certainly was one of the more unusual signs to see someone so uh, blatantly giving uh, giving away uh, promotional items and giving away food. Uh, but one thing that happened after that was uh, Steyer started getting some questions about the propriety of this uh, maneuver. And... I wouldn't say he was defensive. He actually thought it was a great idea. Look, we, we are trying to make encourage people to vote. We think it's really important. You know my, I have a huge history of grassroots organizing, of um, registering, engaging, and turning out as many people across the spectrum as possible because I believe in the broadest possible democracy. So if you think we use food, we're supporting some small businesses and using food to try and bring people together. Can I tell you, we've used puppies at the polls. Do you think that's pandering? <laughs> we'll do, we have tried to encourage people to vote across the spectrum for years. That's what I believe. I believe in the broadest possible democracy. And if we can pull t people together through food or some fun, then I think that's fantastic. And, and honestly, we believe the broadest possible democracy gets the best possible answers. And so we're, we're trying to encourage people to show up. Again, most of this, you know, most of the population in Nevada is obviously in Clark County in Las Vegas uh, to a certain degree. There's also a lot of people in Reno, uh, Carson City, Elko are, are outposts that are even further out. Um, but well, there's a lot of the action happened in the, in the Senate in Las Vegas. But uh, you were able to go uh, with with our uh, photographer, Caroline Bremen, uh, to one of my favorite parts of the state, which I visited with Bill Clark in 2016, which is odd, even by Nevada standards, odd. Uh, and that is Pahrump, Nevada. And you got to speak to the former HUD secretary, uh, Julian Castro, who was a former presidential candidate and is now a surrogate for Elizabeth Warren. Uh, but let's talk a little bit before we get into um, your interview, uh, which we will play uh, with, with Castro, and just describe a little bit of uh, a Pahrump for us. Uh, certainly. Pahrump is on the road to, the, to Death Valley. So if you're driving from Las Vegas, it's one of the ways that you can go if your destination is Death Valley. Uh, it's a good place to refill the gas tank before you cross into California. Uh, but it is perhaps uh, best known because it is in one of the rural counties in Nevada where prostitution is legal. And so invariably any conversation uh, about uh, Pahrump includes a conversation about the brothels that operate legally in that county. Uh, and also you're getting into the area where you uh, 
running to places like the Nevada Test Site, which is more northerly of Vegas, but is also in a similarly disparate area. And, and Yucca Mountain. Yucca Mountain. <laughs> the, the other... The, the longtime proposed on-and-again, off-again repository for the nation's nuclear waste, for which every Nevada politician swears to, to not allow it to happen. And just magically, the president's budget recently released says that, that they will not pursue uh, the, uh, the Yucca Mountain nuclear waste repository, even though it was part of previous uh, proposals to, uh, to store the nation's nuclear waste. <laughs> Uh, so set up for us uh, your, your conversation with Castro uh, in Pahrump, uh as, as he's stumping for Elizabeth Warren. That's right. He was in Pahrump on, on behalf of Senator Warren uh, at, a, at a house party that was being hosted by a, a caucus captain uh, for the Massachusetts senator. There were probably about eight or ten people in the backyard of this house adjacent to a swimming pool. And so it was by far the smallest event that we attended. Uh, But what was happening was it was sort of the home base for the Warren supporters who were going out canvassing the neighborhood, uh, trying to track down basically all of the Democrats in Pahrump, which is obviously a largely Republican uh, area. And they were basically going around not just looking for people who could potentially be convinced uh, to caucus for Elizabeth Warren, But really, they were looking for all of the Democrats to see if any of them would make uh, the senator their second or third choice on this ranked choice voting that we were talking about. There was a young man from UCLA who was a volunteer for the Warren campaign who was working on GOTV in Pahrump and was going around trying to find basically every Democrat that he could to see if any of them would make uh, Senator Warren their second or third choice uh, if they had already been committed to another candidate. Uh, and so Julian Castro, the former HUD secretary, was there to thank them for the work they were doing uh, and also to highlight the importance of rural Nevada. Uh, he has been, when he was running for president himself, as you'll hear in the interview, uh, he spent a lot of time in rural parts of Nevada. Uh, Senator Warren has organized there. Uh, A couple other candidates have, but not too many. And the reason for it, the reason why it's important is because the way delegates are allocated in Nevada, uh, you can actually pick off delegates in really, really rural parts of the state. So not all of the delegates belong to Clark County. All right. Let's take a listen Uh, here. Secretary, I'm I'm curious. We're in Pahrump, which is a, a much more rural part of the state than, say, Las Vegas or Reno. Uh, your campaign spent a lot of time out here when you were running. Uh, how does it feel to be back, and, and how important is it to try and gather delegates in a place like this? Uh, uh, this is tremendously important. These rural communities, even though they don't have as many people as a Las Vegas or a Reno, uh, you know, they do matter. And the residents are very, very willing to listen to the candidates who make stops here. What I found when I visited West Wendover and Elko and a couple of other communities here in Nevada was that they were happy to hear uh, what I had to say. Uh, they, they recognized um, you know, my campaign for making an effort. And 
Senator Warren has probably made the biggest effort in rural Nevada to connect with people throughout this state. She has, as you know, she has a, a staff in Elko. Uh, she has visited a number of rural communities. I'm here today as her surrogate in Pahrump. Uh, she's also put out plans for rural America, from rebuilding rural hospitals to investing in public education, broadband throughout our country, and making sure that rural communities are invested in, that they don't get shortchanged by Washington, D.C. What do you think is uh, really the importance of this state and, and, and how far uh, a good showing here uh, could propel someone uh, like we saw with Senator Klobuchar, frankly, out of New Hampshire, or the inverse, uh, a poor showing here uh, could sort of be the end yeah. of someone's campaign. Nevada, Nevada is going to be a difference maker because this race is up in the air, very fractured, uh, yeah. and that's why Senator Warren uh, is spending so much time here in Nevada, why surrogates for the campaign are out here. She believes in Nevada. Uh, she has done a lot to campaign here this last year that she's been running, and it is going to matter. It is okay. One of the things that uh, I, I really like about this, you know, this conversation that you had with Castro is that there, you know, you had a little time. I mean, like that, that's that's the benefit of going to these kind of far out places like Pahrump, uh and, and is, is that you get you get people when they can actually give you some time as opposed to just being one more of 10 reporters who are waiting for a quote. Uh, so, I mean, thanks. Thanks for doing that. And, and uh, thanks for for going out uh you know, into the into the kind of the wilds there for that conversation with him. Thank you. And I will say that we were both driving back uh, to Las Vegas immediately afterwards to the sort of opposite side of the picture. The next stop for both Secretary Castro and for uh, roll call was at Cardenas Market, the uh, the Latino supermarket in East Las Vegas that is a popular site uh, for for events uh, for Democrats, a fixture of the Harry Reid tour when he was campaigning. Uh, and both Castro and Senator Warren and us were all there uh, and a much larger crowd, lots of television cameras and a totally different experience. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Political Theater. You can subscribe to this podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you happen to get your podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends and subscribe to our newsletter. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.